0: And Dominion Fire 360 is on, my friends. Million here with you. M I L L I A N, your ministry provocateur, iconoclast, firebrand, and the resident heretic here at Dominion Fire. It is a pleasure to have you guys here. Now, today on this episode is an old and dear friend of mine, a kindred spirit, if you will. And we have known each other for years now. We've visited each other's houses. We've ministered in a couple different states on the Las Vegas Strip. We've, uh, We've done a lot of things, and it's uh, a pleasure to catch up because not only is he, he is he here today, but he was a previous guest on the former Heal the Sick podcast, episode 51, July 25th, 2014, almost a decade. My goodness. Joining me wow. today from Nyasa, if I said that right, Mozambique, other side of the world. It's like nighttime here, morning for him, but we're pulling it together. This is cool. Singer, songwriter, missionary, now author, which we'll talk about that as well today, Ian Janari, a.k.a. Ian Christopher. And Ian, my man, welcome to 360. How are you, sir? Thanks, man. It's good to be here. Thanks for letting everybody know how old we are, bro. That's okay. That's okay. We're eternal. Age doesn't matter anymore. Amen. That's
1: right. That's right. That's another podcast yeah,
0: too. That's, b- I'm writing notes right now for that. So listeners, before we uh, really dig in, just want to remind you, if you had a chance to listen to the previous state of the podcast address, I gave you some information about the direction of the show. And remember while you're here listening, the podcast is found on iTunes, Stitchers, Stitcher, excuse me, TuneIn, Spotify, all the major podcast outlets. You can find this and the Heal the Sick if you want to check that out. Website is Dominionfire.com. The prayer wall is Dominionfire.com forward slash prayer. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Dominion Fire, and Telegram is a new thing we kind of trying to kick up a little bit. That's at t.me forward slash dominionfire HQ. Now, anytime you're not sure where to find anything, here's like the all-encompassing link. It's sleek.bio forward slash dominionfire. And as I said on the last podcast, the state of the podcast, which is the April 24, 2023 episode of the show. We're trying to build here. We're trying to get some resources together. If you would like to financially support the show, we definitely would would appreciate your help as we're building things here. The website for that also on the sleek bio, it is www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash DF360 for Dominion Fire 360. As little as five bucks a month would be tremendous to help us out, but If you're not in a position to do that, if you'd like to help otherwise on all those podcast platforms I just mentioned, if you would please be so kind as to leave a five star rating, leave some comments because that helps push everything up in the in the rankings and everything. And this show, I just get a sense is going to go somewhere big. And I, I certainly hope so, not only for what we're doing here, but for all of our guests that we just start connecting this thing around the world, which is something we've been doing for years and just kicking it up. Now, speaking of being all around the world, Ian. You're on the other side of the planet from us right now. And it's so cool that by technology, we can make these connections. And I remember that it was about seven or eight years ago. You said, you know, uh, we're going to sell everything and we're going to Mozambique. And I'm like, Mozambique, what Uh, uh, come again now? And I was like, wow, I, I didn't know that I was completely taken off guard by that. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Let's go back a little bit. Tell me about your background and experience and what kind of brought you up to the missionary field. Where where did that all come from?
1: I wish we kind of would have sold everything. We ended up giving it all away, you know, as a missionary. Probably should have sold. (laughs) We definitely sold out at the idea for sure. When I was growing up, I came from a a wonderful loving family. We had our own, you know, baggage on the inside, but my parents have been married for fifty years last October. Amazing. They, so I grew up in a what we would call, you know, a quote unquote Christian home. Most of that was thick theology, and for those that understand, I went to a Lutheran church at eight a.m. and I was at a Southern Baptist church at nine thirty. It was a big contrast, but it it brought one thing in my life, which was the the solidity solidarity of the Word of God, and I began pursuing that, like just chasing after the stories that were in the bible and really trying to believe you know hey this has got to be true if the encounter i had when i was 8 was true you know met god my dad became radically saved he was a agnostic or atheist when i was younger and he was radically saved around the time i was 4 or 5 or something and when i was 8 or 9 he began reading the word at dinner time after dinner and he invited me and my brother into that conversation and he happened to be in the book of revelation and it intrigued me like revelation intrigued me and i realized how big god was that he was he was my savior that he was everything and uh that was that was the encounter i had when i was 8 began following him closely when i was around 17 you know the conviction of the holy spirit in my life really hit when i was about 17 in high school and was getting ready to leave the state of alaska at that time where i was at and head into the world and i thought i was going to be playing baseball most of my life after that. And uh during that time in between I had two again the word encounter. I had two encounters with the Lord like Acts chapter 16 the room is shaking um type deal and they were both they were both corporate uh encounters with multiple people in the, the in the room they were at youth events. And then during those encounters I had individual encounters in the midst of them it's wild. You're talking about 10 years ago, million. how we met. They were two years apart, these encounters. And the guy that was the, the speaker at the event was also the worship pastor of the event, which rarely happens. Both things were so important in my life because, as you know, worship and songwriting became a thing. And then the mission life too. And both times, two years apart, two different locations, probably 200 miles apart, This guy gets this word from the Lord and says, I feel like the Lord's calling people into the mission field. Who's going to go? And at that time in Alaska, there was a movement going on. There was a revival that happened in the Kalfonsky Beach area and some other things were going on. And I happened to be in the midst of that. And the youth responded. And I was one of those that responded. And I can tell you the song he was playing, everything, like the moment was incredible. That was the time I I knew I was going to be going into missions there's a whole lot of prophetic in the middle of that. I didn't know I'd be leading worship as long as I did and writing music and all that stuff as well. But you were talking about 10 years ago, I sent that guy a message. I tracked him down on Facebook, thanks to Facebook, and uh, told him kind of what we were talking about before we got on the podcast together about, hey, is that my fruit if someone else starts to change the world or do what God tells him to. And I said, you know, thanks for thanks for ask, or saying what the Holy Spirit told you to back then. And I told him my story and I sent him a, a picture of the book that I just wrote. And he answered like it. I couldn't believe he answered, but he was so shocked. And what was so wild is the last three months I have been chewing on, this is something you and I haven't talked about yet. I've been chewing on the fear of the Lord again. And one of the verses I'm really pondering again is that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And this guy quoted that in the message he sent me two days ago. He's like, I feel like the Lord's telling you, da, 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 da And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is how I got started. Like whatever, how many years ago that was? 30 years ago or something like that. So I have been one that has kind of chased, we'll call it the upper room. I've chased the upper room experience of just knowing that Christ wants us to go as the Father has sent him pretty much since I decided that I was all in on obeying him. And for my family now too, that's the other part. Two decades have been teaching my family to the same.
0: Over this period of time, you were you put out a couple albums and you did something of a tour and you were traveling all around. And that, in my mind, was kind of where you were going. But then, as I said, you just posted or messaged me one day, I'm heading out to Mozambique. And I'm like, okay. now going through your book, you clearly had stuff leading up to that. But it, it came as a bit of a surprise to me. Truly, I was a little stunned. And I say that because I have no grid for that kind of stuff, you know, like missionary stuff. I've done like a couple short term missions. You know, we've done orphanages in Ecuador, things like that, but nothing to this degree. And it's like I have no grid for just, okay, we're up and we're going. And I'm like, dude, this whole thing is like. Nuttier than squirrel droppings. It's like, what are you doing, man? But you got that thing on your heart, and you were ready. You were like serious about it. And so, how did that all come together? Like that had to be a a really interesting conversation at dinner that night. The way that process went down was,
1: like I said in the book, well, Carl and I, when we first met my wife, Carl and I, there was a there was a huge foundational part of missionary life with us when we were courting. We really sensed that the Lord was going to send us into missions. Now, remember, I'd had those encounters when I was young, but I was kind of keeping them close to the chest, man. Like, I'm not sure if God's going to send me, where he's going to send me, all that. And the only thing in our entire courtship that I wasn't sure on with Carla, the only thing, because I mean, I was 10 hours into our relationship, and I called my mom and I was like, I found the woman I'm going to marry. My mom's like, do you know her last name? And I'm like, "Uh, I'll get back to you.
0: But yeah, it's going to be mine.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Of course, mom, you failed that question. Same Um, as your name, I think, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You should know, mom. The one thing was that she wanted, she always wanted to go do work in Africa. And that was like the one continent that I was like, nope, I don't hear that word. And later on, I had another prophetic word and time with the Lord over a 10 day period where he was like, if it hadn't been Carly, you wouldn't have gone to Africa. Like he was literally saying, you would have gone somewhere else, which. Is a whole nother podcast and a whole nother theology for other people probably. But for me, that's why. Like, She was actually the opening door, not to being called to go to the field, but to being chosen for Africa. And so I found out later that my mom had been called to Africa when she was in college. And she said, no, I'm allowed to share this now because my mom has, she can share this story, but, um, and she encouraged me before I left. But she said, she had said, no, she felt the Lord at that time. Calling her to Africa, and she felt discouraged and kind of chased a, a, a stage acting career in college, and was successful with that. And she felt like because I because she had said no to that, that the Lord had passed it on to me in some way. And and so yeah, again, another type of podcast. But for us, it was it was always embedded into our courtship, even. And then when it was you know fifteen years goes by, three kids are born, two miscarriages along the way, marriage rockies, marriage highs, like. And then you think God's forgotten. Height of the Music Ministry, that was a prophetic word that happened around the time is of missions as well. And I waited 13 years for that to take off, but had been praying every day about it. Carla's nursing career was taking off. You know, we, were, you and I were in Tracy's ministry. So ministries were my kids and I, they were hearing, having dreams and visions every day. Like we were going out to Walmart and seeing people sick, healed every day, like crazy stuff. And then the Lord just, breaks Carla and I's heart and is like, it's time. And we had been waiting and waiting. We're like, man, we're like mid thirties now. You're going to send us to the mission field. It's like, God, where have you been? And yeah. Like what happened? And what I joke with one? people now and Carla, like she was waiting for me. I think I had a maturity process to go through. She knew she was going to Africa to do what we're doing right now. Um, I mean, the physical walls of a clinic are going up right now because she had the vision when she was four. She didn't operate in the Holy Spirit the same way I did, but she never varied from that and when we when we told our kids carla just is really patient with stuff like this and so at that point when we realized the Lord was beginning to mobilize us she said let's start talking to the kids at night and our kids were at the time around four four six and nine I believe and for a year Carla started planting the seeds at the dinner table basically you know we had been teaching them to hear from the Lord and to conversate with us about what their dreams were, what they were thinking, how they were hearing from them um, at young ages. I think two of the three had been baptized already, maybe just Tobiah at that point. Some had prayed over people. you know. So they were hearing from God, but we basically walked through a process for a year where Carla would challenge them with questions like, if God told us to leave the country and go somewhere else, what will we do? I think we were reading like Madison's book about uh, circle your prayers or something just to kind of make it you know, valid for them in the process of thinking through. And, you know, like kids do, all personalities are different. Like Tobiah was like, well, if God tells us to go, we go. <laughs> that's that's how Tobiah is today. He gets words in like one word pictures and stuff. And Jaden was like, well, I feel peace about it. But, and then a book of revelation later, you know, more on Jaden later, because we're actually still in Africa because of him hearing from the Lord. And then Gideon took like almost a full year. And his big fear at four was that he was going to be eaten by a cheetah. So I'm with him on that one. I was like, I don't want Africa and big cats, but that's what we did. We walked through for a year, conversating about what God might do, looking in the word of God for answers and letting them hear from the Lord. And when Gideon got his peace, when he said, I'm ready without us prodding him, it was within 12 months we were we were on ground in Mozambique.
0: Okay. So you set the stage, you cleared out all your stuff. You gave your stuff away and you went. So you get on the ground now and it, that had to be just a totally wild experience because, you know, stranger in a strange land. What in the world's going on here? Culture shock. Once you got on the ground, like how did you initially get set up? How did you start connecting with the locals and so on and so forth?
1: So we went with a an incredible missionary out of uh, Bethel Church. Uh, she was homegrown from Bethel pre-Heidi Baker days. This is someone else that was we grew up in, in that church since she was a teenager and uh, had been on ground in Mozambique for years. And so when we got there, they had already established a semi-quasi little base and were in need of their you know first family. It had been mostly single ladies to that point. Some husbands and wives had come through to do short-term mission stuff and help them on base, but we were kind of the first family. And so we had strategically talked about what it might look like for about six months to a year. And I think they were a little nervous too. But when we got on ground, we just uh, started learning language. And Portuguese is the mother tongue there. The boys were learning Portuguese with us. We had been homeschooling them for a while already. So we just went right into that homeschool life. They had a little place for us on base, which was wonderful. They began to, it it was two gals, began to lead us through the immigration process and the language learning but also allowing us and Carla plugged into a ministry with a friend that was off base right away as well. And so part of it was just we just jumped into the culture right away, tried to engage the people and within a month or two or three we were speaking enough Portuguese that the kids were able to play with, you know, their neighbors and stuff like that. And so that dynamic was all right for that first year. It was just mostly maintaining like cultural stuff and the weather and that kind of stuff was the hardest stuff to navigate.
0: Did everybody acclimate pretty well or was there like elements of like homesickness? Were the kids struggling? Like how did everybody lock in?
1: Carla and I got to take a a, a test trip, man. I helped with roofing and a project, a short-term trip to the base to meet everyone, and Carla went on a medical trip there. And then the boys moved like straight out. Now they had been touring around a few places because of my music ministry. They had been kind of all over the U S and all over Phoenix. So they knew kind of the, that wild dynamic of just like different cultures and different spaces in America. But this was their first time ever on the continent of Africa and they never got to test it out. They just moved. So thankfully Arizona's hot where we're from. And that part was easy. Um, other than that we didn't have AC at first and, um, That was rough, but they acclimated pretty well. The personalities of my boys have been nothing short of miraculous, man. Like they, to this day, you know, most of the time when you have three kids, you can have a a coalition at times. And my three boys, they still sleep in the same room together, 19, 16, 14. And they love it. Like they love being around each other. You know, they fight like any other brothers, but they just, for some reason, God really granted us with grace on that dynamic and knew we were gonna be in the mission field. And so they drew from each other a lot. And God was gracious enough to not have us move to the north in the Asa. That first move was in central Mozambique. And so we were there a couple of years and that allowed the boys to kind of settle in and embrace Mozambique and ha- have some little friends that were their age that spoke Portuguese, not dialect. And they acclimated quick. There was like on our base, there was a little education school, and some other things. And so that allowed for, I think twice a week, they were able to plug into some events that we were doing as a missionary base. And we were kind of in a village. So the neighbors were right up against the fence. After we done with homeschool, we could grab a soccer ball and head out right outside the fence and stuff. So we all acclimated well. I actually had the hardest time acclimating at first. And the reason for that was because I needed something to do, bro. <laughs> just bored so, out of your mind, huh? The Lord switched it up on me. Like you knew me before that. Like I definitely had a focus, knew where I was going, everything. And and here I headed into obscurity with my music, with my ministry. I couldn't speak English there. Like everything I needed as tools to lay the kingdom on people, other than my presence, like I couldn't use. And then also six months before we left, at the end of the music thing, I took down my touring schedule and began to only do itinerant worship within churches. And I actually acted as an interim worship pastor for a couple of churches, two or three weeks a month before he left, which ended up being supporting churches later. But the Lord told me, you're not gonna be able to see past June. And that was like in May. And the Carla's gonna be able to start seeing. And my natural bent is to be able to either soullessly or prophetically see a year out, five years out. I'm a visionary, 10 years out. And I can pray into those things, you know, for 10 years. And literally, if you look at my schedule back then, like it stopped in May. And I had dates for a year before that, like six months planned in advance. So when I got to the base, the Lord was like, gave me one word. You're not going to be able to see past June. And I just want you to help serve the base wherever you can. And when I got there, that's what was needed. And I prayed for a month or two, and finally the Lord was like, there's a team, a soccer team coming to help with ministry in a few months. You're going to end up leading it, and when that's done, I will show you exactly what you're to do. And I'm not even kidding you, man. The next day, they're like, hey, will you lead the soccer? Like, So I set this team up from Australia to come, and I picked the locations for them, and like, I was only six months into Mozambique, so I was having to go out and meet people, and you know, all that kind of stuff, learn how to drive on the other side of the road. Missionaries are on like DEFCOM stress level 11 all the time.
0: There's no reprieve. I don't feel like it now. Like ever.
1: That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're constantly thinking, what's my next move? It doesn't feel like that now, but when people tell me, I'm like, yeah, I guess that that was definitely true. And so when I got that done, it finished. The next night I was like on my face, Lord, okay, I did what you told me to what's next and he gave me a full download. So it took me seven or eight months before I entered into the jail ministry, started up hearing God Bible school in the villages, like began to understand what this whole thing on the process of discipleship happened for me to actually do what I'm doing now, but I acclimated hard. It was a bit of a rough landing.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. In any event, you Not only we're doing this work out in the field, which, again, took me by surprise initially, but then I also come to find out by surprise you're an author now. You start writing this book where you're chronicling some of the things that happened and how you started outlining it. Now, for the listeners, this book just released. The guy that did the audio book has a beautiful it's like brown gravy on potato. Boy, it's beautiful. It's like buttery sugar. Making disciples and leading others to make them. A missionary family discovers the essentials of how Jesus made disciples, who made disciples. So where did the book come from? Because you, I knew you wrote songs and music and stuff, but where did this come from? I'm
1: still like, is this really happening? I actually have been a, against writing a book and never thought I would, ever. I'm an avid reader, a ferocious reader, but I spent the better part of a decade in a in a business that the Lord had me create, became a vice president and all this stuff and read leadership book after leadership book and that's fine like I love reading, but I read hundreds of books, hundreds of books it was like pattern in my life and during that time, I kind of got a little tainted like I was like there's a fine line between biblical leadership and just leadership and us painting the picture as oh this is biblical leadership and I don't mean to be super sarcastic, but I kind of do because I think we're exploiting the word leadership and I have a lot of authors that are in biblical leadership. If you just tune me on the podcast, I'm sorry, but that I respect highly. I just think it's a it's a topic that that is very we it's a thin line. And so I I actually have been against writing a book for a long time because I was reading the voice of man in every single level. And it was pulling me away from the one voice that I had been wanting to hear my whole life. And when I when I stepped back into that, the Lord had me walk into a a time in my life where I literally did not read anything but the Gospels. And that was the better part of a year and a half. It was about two years before we left for Mozambique. And I remember spending a year in John chapter one alone. And and it was like fresh bread every day. And I I was against writing a book. And so be, not because I don't think they're helpful. I I mean, I love books. But because I felt like it was a distraction from especially the West, us actually being in the word of God and finding out what he wants to say first. And it was my own personal journey. So if, that, if you disagree with that, please feel free to disagree with it. But for me, that was my journey. And so about a year ago, part of my process, you know, I love exercise and training, you know, that CrossFit's like my thing. And I run out here, there's all kinds of trails to run on. And part of the reason I do run still in my forties and stuff, other than my heart, I want my heart to be good is I want to be able to hear the Lord while I suffer. So my physical body, my soulish body. And so like, if I'm, you know, walking through exercise and I'm actually like having a hard time breathing, my muscles are hurting and I can still hear the Lord. It's a good practice. And so I run, man, two, three days a week. And one day I'm running and the Lord, maybe not even a year ago, maybe six months ago, I bet this book came quick. And I, I was like, Lord, lately I've been really thinking about writing books. Like I keep seeing Amazon KDP, I keep seeing this stuff and it's intriguing, but I've been so against writing a book. And one of the questions I've learned to ask and taught my kids to ask, Million, is what do you want me to know about this? If you ever get a chance to have the guy, Jamie Winship on your podcast, I would highly recommend it. That's the question he teaches people. What do God, what do you want me to know about this situation? And I asked him that and the Lord's like, what did I teach you about discipleship in in Central Mozambique? And I'm like, oh, and he just gives me a download as I'm running, and I'm like, do you want me to write a book on that? He's like, I want you to share that, and I'm just like, are you sure you don't want to write a book on dreams and visions or justice <laughs> or inheritance something versus I, legacy? Something or... I like better, maybe.
0: <laughs> what, what and you, he's what, like, what you
1: got? All he told me was not yet, and I'm like, okay. So what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to search the words, the pure gospel and making disciples. And I'm like, okay, that's like what you taught me. And I spent the next two, three months researching keywords and doing all that stuff you do. And when I when I put my hand to the keyboard for the first time, the Lord then showed me, he's like, I want this to be a a practical guide and memoir, your stories. And the unique part is going to be that it's still ongoing. And a caveat to that is two things. One that you'll relate to, because you definitely walked through a hard COVID time too, like I did. But one of the other caveats is we are literally seeing the book of Acts play out in our life, Million. Like, I don't want to call it a movement yet amongst the Yao, but it's definitely the beginning of one. And um, there's a, a prophetic word the Lord gave me a few years back that was so strong while I was running that I had been prepared for this. So when the Lord said, I want you to write about it. I was like, well, that makes sense because it's ongoing. It's present. I dug a baptismal hole in my front yard like a crazy man because the Lord told me to in a Muslim <laughs> c- in a Muslim <laughs> province where they're like, what the heck is this guy doing? Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. is he digging graves out there? Is the white guy digging graves? His house is across from the graveyard, so maybe that's what he's doing. So that's how the book came to be. I was on a run and the Lord gave me permission and I just obeyed. I was like, Okay. And he let me write it how I would write it. Like you saw, like talking and telling stories, but also that teaching side of me, putting it into an administrative order, kind of like you, when you teach on healing and stuff, like so that we can grab the, the 12-year-old from the youth group and walk out to the main strip and go, okay, do this, this, and this, and then believe. And that's what the book is.
0: So for the listeners, accordingly, let's set the scene here now. For those who may not be aware, if I check my geography on this, but in the southern part of Africa, you guys probably all know South Africa. So it's like the southeast, east coast, Mozambique is where that is in the area of Madagascar, if I recall correctly, where the uh, where the oceans. Right. And so that is about where you landed. And again, literally the other side of the world from where I am. But you had a whole bunch of stories in this book and. What I alluded to earlier was that Ian commissioned me to do the voice or the audio book, the voice for his audio book, which was uh, gave me a chance to also read it and check it out. So I can attest to you. The stories in there are really, really cool, which is why I definitely had to get them on the podcast. So back to Ian, then you told some cool stories and the general idea that you were trying to portray is that the bigger thing aside from making disciples is finding a way to get those disciples to make disciples and almost like a multiplication kind of thing, like how you, I guess you would say like duplicate, is it duplicatable or replicable, however you want to term it. And that seems to be what you were working towards. So getting into the actual book now, let's, let's get some stories in here. Tell me about how you started putting together the model For discipleship, what you started seeing, you started seeing stuff line up with what was in the Bible and how they were doing things and how it was received with the locals. So kind of walk us through all that.
1: During that time of only hearing from the Lord and kind of erasing the voice of man, which the Lord did bring back and said, hey, you can read these books now. And I read all of Heidi Baker's books after and Todd White's and stuff after, but it was about a year of not listening to anything but the gospels. During that time, part of that time was in the mission field as well. And so that first year I was in Moe's and the Lord finally said, this is what I want you to do. He had me and the family and the community start a Bible school out in the sticks, man. And it was basically just to teach the regular person how to hear from God. And because the the culture here, whether Christian or not, or Muslim is a lot of times it's like there's someone controlling what you hear. Hey, I'm the big guy. I'm the position. I'm the pastor. I'm whatever. So come do my thing and I'll teach you what the Lord here, what he's saying. And you can hear through me, not for yourself. And so during that time, I asked the Lord, I said, you know, why I've spent most of my life discipling quote unquote people in America, but my, you and I talk about Amway, the downline's not growing. Like I have a wide, wide, wide base, but it's, it's shallow. And, uh, and the why the people that I've discipled i've I've helped change their life, I've encouraged them, but they keep coming back to me for answers instead of having grandchildren you know, and during that time in the Gospels, the Lord just brought me back to Luke chapter nine and ten, and he started showing me when the when the the Lord's process with the disciples of how he sent them out and what he specifically had them do, and as I started watching the life of Jesus, I was just like you know. His job was to reconcile us to the Father, but it was also um to to fulfill that prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, not just my father, it's our Father, you know? And that process was to be multiplied and to bring the Gentiles in. And it was it's it became so evident it was like Jesus is the model. And I just lived in Luke 9, Matthew 9, Luke 10, um, the first couple chapters of Acts. And then the Lord took me to John 20. And I just, uh, I've lived there. John 17, his prayer to the father. What, what does discipleship look like in that format? And um, you know, the story of Vida in there, which is not his real name, but this Muslim kid, like that was my testing ground. And because the Lord had showed me, this is how you make disciples that will actually go out and make disciples. When I, When it came, I was ready. And what I found in the process was, and this is in the book, is that testing obedience is one of the key things um, to that process. And what I mean by that is asking someone to share what they've learned because it's good news and then have them come back and tell you who they've shared it with and then find out how they shared it. And then whether they would let you go to that house and be with them sharing it in the context I'm in is a natural context for multiplication. So that's part of the the how.
0: Something that I found quite poignant in sort of the message you were saying that I am definitely a believer in as well is that the truth necessarily can't be told as much as it has to be learned. And as you were saying earlier, you kind of more question them as opposed to just telling them what the story was, you basically led them to finding their own answers. And that seemed to be an effective Mm. strategy from as best I could tell. So is that the case?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a great next step, actually. So in that obedience process, you know, you and I come from the West, which is mostly a direct teaching way of doing things. And um, now with media and social, that actually has come back to bite us, as we've seen, you know, in the West, because, we don't know why people are making the decisions they are other than there's no model they're being directly taught and you know everything from the far side of stuff we're struggling with in the church transgenderism to people with assault rifles to all that political stuff some of it is just because i believe we we stepped out of a context of what you're saying of asking people questions to discover what the word of god is saying versus us just teaching them and so in the in this process with these disciples, there's a story about in the book about Vida. In that situation with him, the Lord told me when he asked me, this kid was a um, grew up in the Muslim faith and had basically like come to search out with me some answers in my family and said, you know, who's the great pro- who's the last great prophet? And so he asked the big question that everybody wants to know here: is it Jesus or is it Muhammad? I basically was about to answer and the Lord told me, ask him a question. I think I asked, if I remember, I asked him like, who do you say he is? And I was like, oh yeah, that's the scripture. And the Lord began to walk me through in that process, ask him this, ask him this, ask him this. And I began to realize Jesus, that's what Jesus did. He constantly just asked questions to the Pharisees and to that. And because I've been in Mozambique now for eight years, that's the context here. The cultural context is usually a question format of discovery, and mostly because ninety percent of the population can't afford or doesn't have a good education on their own, and so they have to discover everything they learn, kind of like, you know, the old caveman process of ma- making a wheel. You know, like, oh, I can chisel this into a different shape. Like that, that the question format's normal here, and so what I began to do was then I began to question the Lord, and He began to answer. And for about two or three years, I discovered what we would call in the West, the discovery Bible study method or the discovery Bible group method or discipleship making movements. Or I discovered that before I knew they existed. And then a couple of years later, a friend of mine was doing the same thing. We we flew to another country in Africa for a conference and, and then I had language for it. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a whole community that God's telling people about in this way. And the gist of it is just that Jesus shows us the model. He is the model. And the majority of the time that model is, is discovery questions. And those discovery questions should lead them to the father, not to the world and the answers.
0: Being in a Muslim country, because I actually didn't know that Mozambique was, I think you told me it's like 50, 50. I actually didn't know that there was that large of a presence. How have you guys been received? Because, you know, there's a little bit of a, I don't know of a misunderstanding or a apprehension about how Muslims react to things, but uh, what what's your experience?
1: And it can be like there were missionaries in the house we're in right now. There's been missionaries here for fifty years, hundred years before us, and some of them spent ten years, fifteen years here, and only said the name of Jesus a couple of times. And in my opinion, they they kind of softened the ground a bit. But in that story, you know, you know what you know. My own personality, you know me. What you get see is what you get, and I tend to be a guy that shares stories and shares testimony. Part of my challenge during the COVID time was I wasn't able to share a whole lot of testimony and I I gained my energy from that. And so that story of this guy, Vida, he happened to be Muslim in a context where there was few Muslims. It was mostly only animist and twisted Catholicism type thing where we were at in central Mozambique. And so the Lord prepped me with that story. So when we moved 500 miles north to a totally only muslim population like i came and you can barely see a church 50 miles from here and i was a bit received i think because the lord set me up on when we got here if i would have come in 50 years ago i think i might have got killed by someone (laughs) but because the population has gotten a little bit more used to seeing white people they weren't as fearful and the house we moved into in the village we're in had a family in it and so when they when i came they began to ask us you know Why did you come? What's your purpose and stuff? And so I just shared that story with them. I actually began with that story. Like, hey, this is what happened to this young guy. He's now following Jesus. He's one of your guys' Muslim brothers. And he had questions. And I I believe I'm here to help lead you to those answers. Like, I think God wants you to find out about Jesus. And it was a lot more well-received. But with that, you know, so we were welcomed. Sometimes the the white person is is welcomed anyway into a village just because they think they're going to receive something. Uh it's part of the friendship culture here is you you give physical things, there's a tangible part of your relationship, not just uh the western hey I I love this book and I love you too. I love this pencil and I love you too. That doesn't make sense in this culture here. There's a there's a response of sacrifice in some way usually. And so their false premonition of why we're here sometimes could actually be a good one because they think they're going to receive something but because of the story sharing and because they're a this people group is a curious one when it comes to the things of God we were received well but there has definitely been things that we've we've rubbed them the wrong way in because we are stirring up change in their culture or the the lord is stirring up change when you tear a scab off a wound man it hurts and uh, God wants to bring healing to that stuff. I see it every day with Carl. Like, she does wound care on our gazebo that's out front every day. And the wounds she sees, Million, are ridiculous. Like, ridiculous. Like, people could lose their whole hand off of an infection because they were out in the field hoeing their field and a piece of bamboo got stuck in their finger and they waited a week and a half. No. with an infection in a subtropical climate. Like, oh my goodness, it's just that whole thing. And so Carla has to like scrub the wound and get some of the skin off and make it a fresh wound to heal properly. Like, and so that we've been received well, but the Lord has also torn back some other, in the discovery process, torn back some of the wounds of their culture. And sometimes we can take the brunt of that, but, you know, Jesus took the scars for us. And so we have to.
0: Previously, in terms of that, you mentioned you built a, you dug a hole in front of your house, I, I believe near that gazebo, and that became your baptismal pool. And I, I can imagine that the locals are probably not real sure what to make of that. So you told the story in the book, but here for um, our listeners, what exactly was the uh, baptismal pool? Where that come about? And you know, share a little of that with us.
1: In the last three or four years. So we've been we've been in the north here for six, and we've been in Mozambique for eight. In the north here, we've seen the growth and the movement of the disciples amongst the Makua and the Yao at its fastest in the last year and a half, but it's been going for about four and a half years now. And about two years ago, two and a half or so, people from our villages started jumping into the kingdom. And We start, we began to see our first Yao believers, which they'd been waiting for. I mean, when I moved to this village, we couldn't tell you one Yao believer. And I would say now, I mean, I I would venture to say 10% of the village has come to Christ, but it's crazy. So they're just coming in droves. Well, the village, the outlying villages, you know, most of these Yao are related to anybody within a, a rock's throw of the village. And so they have now shared and multiplied. And so over a course of about, Two or three months, there was like every day people were needing to get baptized. We have a rainy season, a non-rainy season, and in the non-rainy season, we have to walk quite a ways to find rivers. We're we're by one in our house, thankfully, but it's not a great place to baptize you. They have to walk three, four, or five miles probably to do it. And during this process, I just started asking the Lord, like, "What do you want me to know about this?" And we had a couple of YOM teams all at once pray for us and send us these words of wisdom and encouragement. And on three of the, on all three of the groups, there was this random word at the bottom of each thing that said, we saw a hole. Like there was all this holy stuff and then there prophetic stuff. And then all of a sudden the bottom, we see a hole. And I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. So let me pray into that because it's on all three of them. And as I was praying about it, I began to remember that my son Gideon, Had During one of our family discipleship times where we hear from the Lord together, he had painted a picture or drawn a a picture or something and had said he saw uh, us in a hole baptizing people in our front yard, the Yao coming, all these young adults coming, and he was helping or whatever, and baptizing people in the front yard. And immediately I was like, oh yeah, that's it. That's what the hole is. Do you want me to dig it? And so... I had, it's, I'm, I'm such a jokester. I had our two main disciples at the time that kind of catalyzed this small movement that's going on, dig the hole and paid them, you know, we call it Ganyo work for it. And when they got done, they're like, Baba, what is this hole? Are you going to tell us? And I literally was like, it's your grave.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. What are you <laughs> in doing? This, in this culture bro you just don't do that but yeah. i was
1: te- i was test i was testing our relationship now you got why this is really funny is our house is across a dirt road from a graveyard yep, yep. and in the muslim culture the graveyard is like one of the most sacred places because there's you know there're twisted beliefs i said but wait 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 i'm just joking it's not a graveyard like that one over there so i did it with a word picture in mind that they could see and touch on purpose Because for the last two years, I've been talking to them about how this was one of the major beliefs that God's probably not pleased with them about. And um, they're like, oh, so it's not like that grave, but it is our grave. I said, yeah. And I said, what did Jesus tell us to do? And they're like, well, he told us to die to ourselves." And in Matthew Matthew 3, he gets baptized. And I said, that's what this is. And I jumped out of the grave, like CrossFit it out. I said, I was like, so... This is your grave, but this is going to be the response when you die. They're like, We still don't get it, Baba. And I said, Picture a bunch of water in this. And they're like, Oh, it's like for baptism. I was like, Yeah. And they got so excited. Like they got so stoked about it. It became a discipleship tool. So now there's a lot of days I'll come home and there'll be two or three people sitting around the tank and they're baptizing them, not me. You know, at first it was me, but now it's just a place that people that don't have water in the area can come or people in the village of Chinica can come and, and be baptized.
0: Yao is, what do you, is that like a the regional group or a tribe? Like what's the proper term for that?
1: It's the tribe name. Yeah, the Yao okay. people.
0: Just for, so the listeners understand, yeah, it is Mozambique, but the tribe is Yao is, is the name for them. So in addition to what you were saying earlier about how you're getting disciples and then turning them to disciple other people, now you set up a baptism system where you started the you started the fire, basically, and they kept it burning and then they took it over. So that seems to be your model of discipleship is basically setting them free and, you know, go do this. So I remember in the book, one of the stories that was was tied into this since we you know, have a little bit of a history with healing here, a baby was healed. And that kind of factored into how the discipleship process happened as well. Can you share that?
1: Yeah, so that first story again. His name's Vida. He had a little brother and actually that boy is still alive. Uh Tobias just got a text message from the mom of that family used to work with us. And so we had him come to the house. Basically how that story w- went down is this guy's mom, he's like 18. His mom was working with us and her husband had died and he was Muslim. And so she lived in a Muslim part of the village, which was rare where we were at for the time. And she began to want to come back to Christ. We had given her an audio Bible and we had been loving all over her and her family. And, um, and and Carla had basically helped and the boys had helped lead her back to Christ. Well, during that time, she's like, Hey, my son, my oldest son, which in the culture of the Mozambican people, the oldest son is the, is like, that's it. Just like in Israel times, my oldest son has questions. He's been hearing the audio Bible and he wants to, to know whether he should be following Christ or not. And, the big challenge there, Million, was because his dad was Muslim and now passed away. He carries that burden of shaming the family if he leaves that religion system. And so he's also the man of the house, so to speak. And so he was carrying a burden of what do I do? You know, he's watching his mom's life change, but his dad's not around to, to give him permission to leave or not. And so he's like, I need to be this Muslim. He was very much searching out God, no question there. And he had told his mom, "Like, can this guy or can this family help answer my questions? And so this gal was like, hey, can, can you do that? And so we had a, a, some good friends coming from the US who are just like us as well, that a couple of days before, and I said, hey, On Saturday, we're free. I know you're free because you're not working. It's the weekend. Can can we invite you over for a meal? And we invited them over to our house for a meal. And this guy, Vita, came. And during that process of the questioning and leading him to the Father and an encounter with the Holy Spirit, that was the thing. He was in my house under the authority of the Holy Spirit in me. And so I knew Jesus was going to show up. He was operating under that. Presence and it changed his life. And in the moment, his younger brother, which was like an infant at the time, was on his mom's back and coughing away. And we could tell he probably had malaria or something. And I could see in my friend that had come from America's eyes, like, are we going to pray for the sick here? Like, and we're like, I was like, yeah, we can do it. But based on this new guy's confession, let's have him pray for his brother. Let's have him lay hands on him. Because he had said, when I'm in your house, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's the great prophet. He's the great ending. Pro- it, it, the buck stops with him. And I said, "Well, if you f- if you sense that in the house, you believe that, like like Peter did, you're the Christ. Then you lay hands on your brother, and we'll agree with you. And you pray. And this guy prayed in Jesus' name over his brother the next morning or the day after he had come because I had given him the assignment to go read the book of Matthew." And when he came back, he's like, my brother's fine. Like my infant brother's fine <laughs> and he's healed. And so, and it was with his hands. So he couldn't, you know, he couldn't diminish. He couldn't, he couldn't say anything against it.
0: You had said that you were giving out audio Bibles and that was actually something that caught my attention being a podcaster and an audio based guy. Is that because like of an illiteracy issue? Is it easier to do that? And like, what does that actually look like? Cause I would think. You're like rural village in the sticks, but you have an audio Bible, which is, I guess, technology that wouldn't be expected there. So how did that work?
1: Even 20 years ago, an audio Bible would have been an incredible resource, but it probably would have wrecked their head as far as, yeah, that's exactly it. The technology here is so funny, million. Like These people live off a dollar a day. All of our village friends, they're in the fields praying for rain and they live off a corn their whole year, their whole life. And- Maybe eat chicken once every three months type thing. But technology wise, phones and because of uh, the road, because a road has been put in cars. So ro- cars and phones have made their way to the village. And uh, in African culture, the passing on of communication and stories is so important. And so because of, you know, sickness and disease and all that. And so you could be 25 miles away from civilization and the ability to be able to pass on a story to a cousin, to a grandfather when someone's sick or whatever, especially in the uh, Islamic context of, hey, someone died. And so now you have to come to the ceremony, has to be passed on. And somehow phones in Africa have gotten into people's hands. Simple SIM card, tiny little phones, you know, circa 1995 in America type thing. A lot of families have you know two phones of a family if 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 they've gotten some work somewhere in the city you know and can pay for it but still many 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 families probably 80% of the village doesn't have phones the audio bible technology doesn't scare them as much anymore they they see it and it's it's kind of like a an am radio a lot of them use am type radios to be able to hear messages from the government or announcements about uh, voting or announcements about when the president's coming through or that kind of stuff, and so the old AM FM type system still works here. It just the challenge is who has them because of cost. So they're about you know the kids that are five, six, seven years old here now versus the people that are fifty and sixty. It's not unheard of for a five and six and seven year old to at least have touched a phone of some kind. Not usually not a the type of phone we have, but like an old like push dial tone type phone. So audio Bibles are amazing and they it's all for illiteracy. Yeah. So 99% of my village cannot read or write. Wow. That's amazing. That's, man. A, that's a lot of villages actually, even in central Mozambique too.
0: And it's cool that even in that situation, you could use technology to get the message across. So that that's super cool to me. Given the whole thing that you've done over this past, what, eight years now or so, in a few words, let's get back to this here. The literal model for discipleship, like summarize it for us in, you know, succinctly as possible. What if somebody wants to just know what's the model? What do you have?
1: Look at Jesus's life like that. That's my summary. What did he say? What did he ask of people and of his disciples? A lot of people turn to Matthew 28. And for me, I would say that too, like, therefore go make disciples, but the model is him. I believe we're supposed to share the gospel, ask them to accept it, tell them to share it, repeat. For me, it's just Jesus is the model. He is the model. He is the message. He is the method. If we ever
0: question it, go back to him. It sounds like you're almost like lighting a bunch of little tiny fires everywhere and just waiting for them to blow up into the, in the big ones, basically. That that concept of getting others to pick up the ball and run with it seems to be a, a central part to that as well. Given these points over this eight year period, if you had to look back at the whole thing, like the 30,000 foot view, how has it grown from where you started to where you are now, as far as how many like, disciples have been made, how many groups have gotten together or church plants that eventually grew out of it from start till now, what's been the fruit of all this?
1: So it's a two-part, it's a two-part answer because in central Mozambique, when we moved, I don't know what the fruit is starting with that guy Vita. When we, when we ended up, the Lord called us out of there. He was leading his own groups along with another disciple I had made. So he was already, we were already third generation, maybe in the twenties or 25 type people. And I believe, I think we were in three different villages and we had, I had personally baptized a couple and he had already baptized or taught between seven and 10. And then the Lord had me leave. Also, as a part of that, I had created, we, we, had, the Lord had created that Bible school and hearing the Lord out in the sticks. And we had a community of 30 students graduate the first year. And then the next year it was around the same. And the third year was supposed to be the end of the kind of the whole discipleship process. And I didn't even get to finish that out. Vita and my other guy, Antonio, are the ones that ended up helping steer that. And so in the central part, I don't even know. I won't know till I die. Could be it could have stopped or it could have just kept going. The last I'd heard is Vita's married, has kids, and has been discipling people. The other guy, Antonio, ended up moving to a different region of Central Mozambique and doing some other ministry stuff. But the the movement there, I don't know. In north where I'm at, to date, so lots has changed even since the book. I cannot keep up with the audio Bible demand right now. It's our biggest challenge. So At last count, our farthest village, we have, I need to recount them, but I think it's around 20 villages over a 35-mile radius right now and growing. Two of those villages alone have over 100 people showing up on a weekly basis throughout all the villages. And about every week, I'm hearing of a new one getting planted. There's about, I don't think I'm far off by saying about 400 500 people showing up a week to discovery groups at the last, this was two weeks ago. I sent one of our kind of Paul type disciples out with his other, some other disciples. And in two visits, they baptized 85 people. Like right now, every village that I know of that we have groups in only 5% to maybe 15% of the ones that have been baptized have audio Bibles to actually grow individually. Otherwise, they're having to show up to group to hear the Word of God and to learn the Word of God in in kind of a family group format. Because the illiteracy is so high, and I can't get enough audio Bibles in their hands. So it's in the it's in the hundreds. Like we've baptized probably close to three hundred in the last year, and there's you know four or five hundred people showing up on a weekly basis. Right now, our actual y- I have three YWAM staff as well that I discipled before this whole Yao thing. That were Makua. They have close to ten villages that they're going out to weekly outside of the Yao that are reaching the Yao, and so it's just yeah, it's multiplying b- beyond what I can even count at the moment. I'm trying to keep track of it. My job is actually I'm just sustaining resource, getting them out transport wise. I'm almost pastoring, you know, the and discipling the the group here in these two villages where I live and taking them to a mature deep level. Out of those groups, I would say two of them right now, maybe three, are operating as what I would consider an actual church plant. So they're pra- they understand or are practicing communion. They have a generous giving lifestyle. They live in prayer. They have other leaders facilitating the group other than just one person. They can share their testimony. They have studied the seven commandments of Christ type thing. Um, So, whether they're meeting in a building or under a tree, I would say they're actually operating as a church.
0: You know, when I hear these stories, it really does blow the gaskets here because, as I opened with, I, I really don't have much of a grid for this kind of thing because, like, in our experience, we did a short term, I think it was like a week and a half, two weeks. To like Ecuador, we went to a couple orphanages and I'll tell you, it's, it's fun. It's got its, you know, good parts to it. And then you reach like for me, yeah, I, I got that little attention span problem. I get to a point <laughs> where I'm like, all right, we're good. I need to get out of here and get on my way home. Right, right. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick side note. They have McDonald's. there clearly like most places, but McDonald's in other countries is not really the same. It's def- There's definitely a difference. <laughs> And I remember, and I, and I know people are like, Oh, McDonald's, you know, you don't, you don't understand. We, when we flew home, yeah. we connected in Dallas. It was a morning flight. So we got into Dallas and there was a McDonald's in the food court at the airport. And I got to tell you, I had egg McMuffins and I had caught the food in Ecuador was terrible. Yeah, And I had uh, and it. And I was like, I, wow. was, and you know, when you like. As gross as it is, you bite into an egg McMuffin and it's like you can just feel the shock waves through your whole body and it's like, oh, this is wonderful. Totally. So it was I'm it was back. funny. Yes. Yeah. So so in all of that, <laughs> I, I just I guess my my question leading up to that is over eight years, clearly you're gonna have up ups and downs. You're gonna have good and bad. You're gonna have a little of everything. It's life like anything else. But what has been some of the struggles? What's been some of the bad stuff? I mean, has been a lot of times where you're ready to just throw your hands up and be like, that's it, I'm out of here, or have you just kind of not thought about it? What's what's that part of the experience been like?
1: Let me answer that. And then I also, when you were saying that, something clicked about the question you asked earlier about summarizing discipleship. Carl and I have, a, have answered this question too. Like, hey, what's the one thing you'd want to leave with them? I would say this is a good summary of discipleship actually. Um, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Those two things summarized as if we could leave one thing with these people, it would be to teach them to hear from God for themselves. And why I'm saying that before the answer to your question is because i it's part of the answer to what have been some of the hard things we've gone through, right? Which is what you just asked. What are some of the, the ups and the downs? Those are easy to say. Getting through the ups and the downs has been something, the thing that I've practiced is what's helped. And so one of the things, I'll, there's someone out here that needs to hear this. One of the things that we want to leave, the main thing we want to leave with them is that teaching them to hear from the Lord, because if they're illiterate, the one thing we need to be able to do is hear from the Lord. That's the one thing that Satan tried to steal from Adam in the garden and Eve was, did he really say that? He was trying to tell them, you can't hear him. You're you're not hearing correctly. The first thing God did was he said something. He said, let there be light. So like the point is that he's a speaking God and we need to hear him. Abraham, leave the country. like. The hearing part is such a big deal. And so one of the practices I've been practicing for over a decade now, maybe close to, I don't even know, is getting up in the morning and asking the Lord what he wants to talk to me about. You know, saying, good morning, Abba, good morning, Abba Father, waiting for him to say good morning back, and then saying, okay, what do you want to talk to me about today? And tuning my ear to hearing him, and if there's an instruction in it, doing it. And if there's a word to just be received, eating it chewing it, swallowing it. And so there have been, I think what you asked is what are some of the ups and downs or did you just want the downs?
0: Well, the struggles, the ups and downs, has, has there been yeah. points you're ready to just throw your hands up and be like, dude, I'm out of here. I've, yeah. I've had enough. Like what that part of it, you know, the, like, the more the human yeah. side as opposed to the spiritual side.
1: Yeah. Carlos said that yesterday. <laughs> no, the ups and downs, that's how I've gotten through them is I go back to those mornings I go back to those journals. I go back to those times. I go back to the last thing God said to me. And I say, is it time to throw my hands up? And if that doesn't line up, then I don't. But some of the simple up and downs that maybe just like the mom that has five kids in America and is like barely swimming right now that's listening to this. Like, do you know how many tires I've changed in the last year, bro? Like, I'm so sick of changing tires. I, I can't even tell you how, many, how sick I'm of changing tires. Before that, I was sick of cars breaking down. And the Lord walked us through that and we have a vehicle now that's brand new. And so I'm actually kind of happy I can change a tire that's a nice tire now. Before that, it was water. It took us, when we moved to the north, it took us 15 months, 15 months to get a borehole drilled in our house. And and so we had, you know, water's like the big essential. Like we had people from the village walking a mile to get us water and having to pay for buckets of water every day. When I first moved the kids, the first night we got into bed in central Mozambique, it was blistering hot. And I'm laying there. My kids are in the room together. We're sweating, not knowing how to deal with the heat. And I literally stared at the roof and said, what have I done out loud to Carla in the bed? What have I done? And that kind of that just threads through. Three days ago, Gideon, my youngest, started having stomach pain. And Carla has, has in her medical time and building a ministry, figured out how to build relationship a hundred miles north of us with the hospital there. And some of the reason they even have an ultrasound machine is because Carla spent two years getting ultrasound machines from America to here. And my son, three days ago, started showing signs of appendicitis. And so we were able to go up there and get an ultrasound. But three years ago, if we had to take it that same road... It would have taken us five and a half hours because we couldn't have gone more than 15 miles an hour because it was a dirt road with potholes the size of cars. Like a basic downer that we have every day of our life is we take we take a prophylaxis called malarone to fight off malaria every day, Bro, right? We've been doing that for four years. Well, Ian, that's a good thing that you can do that. Yeah, but it's $4 a pill. So do the math on that expense from practical to even spiritual you shared with me, you were vulnerable with me about some of the issues on that last podcast that you put out the state of the podcast where you were at, man, 2020 was fine for me. I had a burden for America about, um, helping families, disciple their kids and helping in America. And I started doing teachings on it and I started doing live pod uh, or live, um, streams and, and stuff. But man, 2021 hit me so hard. I began to like, there was this resentment that started to build in me, where I was like, "Where are all my friends? Have they abandoned me? I haven't heard from my key friends in forever. Not even a text to say how are you doing." Like, and then feelings that I hadn't had for fifteen years because of my identity in Christ started creeping in. I'm like finding myself going, oh, these aren't real friends." Like it, stuff I just never battle with. And yet, every morning I'm content listening to the Lord. And man, that was about a better part of a year and a half. I went through that trauma and feeling. Stuck and feeling resentful and feeling anger build towards people in the village of uh, injustices and I had studied the topic of justice in the kingdom for years, but I was acting unjust to the people on the road because I got sick and tired of watching motorcycles go up and down our road and almost kill kids. I would stop the motorcycle on the road and just start yelling at the guy like, "What are you doing? There's kids in the road! Like, you want me to take you to the like crazy stuff like." The villagers are like, "Yep, that white guy, the Azungu Baba Ian, he's lost it. He's been here too long." <laughs> like, and uh, and I'm like, "Lord, like, what's going on? Like, I, I want this guy to to know you." And I'm I'm like holding a, a resentment against him for driving a motorcycle too fast. Like, what's going on? The Lord began to show me that complaining, like just little complaints. Oh, the electricity went out again today. Man, this company—they don't know what they're doing. Like little complaints here and there. Of venting because the missionary stress levels on Defcom Four all the time that I, I let I let complaining creep in, and when that happened, dude, the kingdom started departing from me. <laughs> so, you know, the, basically, just the love of Christ towards others started going away, and I just started going through the motions. And I think that's that's part of the ups and downs, like the practical side of what we deal with on a daily basis, can lead to an emotional swing that if we don't guard our heart, we can just be doing the missionary stuff and actually not doing it in love. When when the Lord revealed that, it affected all of us, my kids' identity, our identity. Yeah. So when the kids were younger, the practicals were, how do I get electricity today? How do I get water? How do I How do I not break down driving 30 miles to the place where I need to get milk or whatever? And now, since the kids are older teenagers, it's become... The Yao Village children are 15 and getting married, and so they don't have friends anymore. And so how do we keep a family posture of hearing from the Lord together? How do we deal with the emotions of what we're seeing going on in America while we're here? How do they communicate with others and not feel isolated? And what's the calling on your life going to be? Because God called you to Africa individually, but you're 17 now. And so you're going to be coming out from under our tree and planting your own. And so that's, that's kind of a gamut of all of it.
0: Earlier today, I had a chance to grab coffee with a, a new friend of mine from a local church here and we were chatting about stuff And the previous podcast that I did. And if you guys haven't heard that state of the podcast address, basically you gotta go check that out. It'll make a lot more sense. And uh we were talking about that and he said something really, really kind of that summarized the whole thing. He looked at me and said, so. You know what it's like to be human then, huh? (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because like in your case, it's like, yeah, that's whether you're making coffee at your local church on Sunday as part of the host team or you're on the other side of the world relocating with your family, digging holes and making disciples. You're still a human, man. You still go through these human things. And I guess in ministry, we always like to paint everything as hearts and flowers and candy and everything's beautiful and rainbows and petunias and all that. but you know, we are still human. We deal with a lot of stuff, man, and it's it's really relative to everyone. It's it's been quite the journey, it especially is. especially to go through the uh, the twenty twenty COVID thingy all around the world. It, I think it really started to hit everyone in just very very unique ways. So, Ian, you've been eight years at this. What is the future? You're talking about dreams and visions, maybe another book coming, or. You're heading home. You're wrapping this thing up. You're going to stay there for life. What's uh, what, what? What's God leading you to?
1: We don't have any plans. For those of you taking notes on any little uh, nuggets of godly wisdom, if if we can call it that, one of the things I lead my life by is how do we know what the next step is? If you don't know or you don't have peace, you go back. You go back to the last word God gave you, and unless He gives you as good or a better word, do not deviate from the program. Oh, that's good. I like that. Um, I would challenge anyone in their life that that is a safe route. We don't have plans to go. Carla, my <laughs> wife, is actually pioneering a a clinic called Raphael Clinic. It's actually more of a community center where she's going to focus on special needs children and uh, chronic patients, uh, which is what she does now. She has a, a mobile palliative care ministry that she's training up some Mozambicans in. And so across the road from us, about 500 meters from us, we are building a clinic in the village. The walls are going up right now. I am not a foreman. And so one of, you said ups and downs, that clinic has been a major up and down in my life, but praise God, it's going up. Resources are coming in for it. And she's hoping to create some sustainability in the village of compassion and mercy here with that. So that's one of our practical things that is going to be at least a five to 10 year more of like us needing to be on ground, but we're open to whatever God wants to do with our kids heading out. Discipleship wise, I'm cautious to call it a movement yet because I respect people like Steve Addison and Greg Ogden and, and the guys that, that pioneered the way with discipleship, make movements and stuff that fierceness of that. But I don't know what else to call it because it's, it's definitely a flood. It's a wave. And the Lord has in the last 24 months transitioned me to more of a not an overseer because I'm still, I'm still discipling others and making disciples, but at least an overall arching looking at the big picture and planting that vision amongst the Mozambican disciples so that they can multiply out into the region and us find ways of supporting that sustainably with transport and those type of resources versus me just going out because we're. We've gotten to the third and fourth generations. You know, 80% of the people that are being discipled right now, I don't know who they are. I'm having to shift my mindset of what God's doing. And I think that the Lord will probably permit me another three to five years at least with that on ground, where the disciples need me face to face with them, maybe even in the in the hole in the front yard type thing. But there's definitely a shift of responsibility and painting the bigger picture. I'm pushing into Discipling them in prayer, in corporate prayer now as well. I'm starting a new kind of a new chapter with that, and they're very excited about it. It will multiply much quicker because it's something that you can learn to do quickly versus needing the examples of that relational time that takes time. One of the things I say in the book is that the kingdom advances quickly, but relationships take time. And so, what has taken six to eight years of relationship time has in the last 24 months multiplied very, very quickly, like Acts 2, 3, 4, 5. And so for me, I see it as I'm going to keep pressing in discipleship and empowering and pushing up and praying, spending time asking the Lord what he's doing with these disciples in the movement, what he's doing in the movement so we can be obedient to that. while Practically meeting our neighbor's needs through my wife's medical ministry as well. And then also keeping a heartbeat on what the boys, my sons, the boys hear God saying for their lives and empowering them either to stay or go as they need to and bridge out my second generation, my third generation of my actual bloodline.
0: How are the so, kids uh, through this? Because they're getting to like, you know, grown up age now, they're starting to age out, I guess, of being kids per se, but are they still in for the long haul with you? Or are they deviating? They want to do something else? How's that shaping up?
1: It seems like my oldest is going to hang around the country. He His desires really to be married and to be pursuing what God wants him to do. But he also kind of grew up in both places and has a a major compassion and empathy for third world cultures now. So he doesn't really want, take this right, my American friends, but he doesn't really want to necessarily return back to America because of what he's seen there. He he values his passport, he values his his home country and and what's going on. But I think there's a part of him that's like the understanding him and what he's walked through he, I think he wants to be closer to this part of the, this is what we're doing in the kingdom here. Uh, He's also very, very talented at media and so our filmmaking and stuff. And so I, we're playing it out. He's waiting on the Lord to see if the Lord brings someone into his life and or whether he needs to go to a vocational school or something like that. My second born is very much wanting to, he's wicked smart, man, like a lot like your son. And he wants to spread his wings so he i could see him heading out he's very gifted musically prophetically in that scope and so i could see him actually venturing out into america or to the west and doing some stuff that way and my youngest just wants everyone to be together man he's so relational so he's just actually just valuing while the brothers are still here having you know family nights together and taco tuesdays and playing games together and working out together and all that kind of stuff so They're very impacted by what we've done as a family here, but what I thought and what I've prayed about for them and thought might continue, I don't know. I've actually got journals for them, bro, that they don't really know about that I tried for every Saturday morning to just be on my face and write down words that the Lord was saying for them and so I could hand it to them. He speaks about them, but he's not speaking a lot about their vocational future. And so I'm kind of excited to see what happens. I kind of don't know. And it's also scaring the heck out of me, too, because I'm kind of like, have I equipped them well enough or,
0: you know. Time will tell, my friend. Listeners, the book is called Making Disciples and Leading Others to Make Them, and it's under the name Ian Christopher. The subtitle is A Missionary Family Discovers the Essentials of How Jesus Made Disciples Who Made Disciples. It is on Amazon currently in Kindle, paperback, looks like hardcover and audiobook format with a wonderful narrator to that story. Ian, all things considered, looking back on this whole experience from when you were young guy and you got the prompting to right now as you're sitting behind a microphone in Mozambique, summarize all together for us this whole experience. What has it been for you? What does it mean to you? What is What's the meaning of all of it? Wrap it up for us.
1: I almost want to weep when I'm saying this, because for me, it's like faithfulness is the, and and not from me to the Lord, even though that's it, but from him to me on our last furlough was, was just a few months back, which is a time when we go, you know, like home assignment we call it. I got the chance to go back to Alaska where I had those two encounters and I got to take my family with us and they got to stand on the land in the place where I heard the Lord's voice say, go. They got to fish in the same places. They got to talk to the people that were there when I went out under the Holy Spirit and woke up and was like, wow, the Lord just called me to missions. Like they actually got to shake hands with those people, stay in their houses, hear the stories. And now looking back, I'm like, it's happened. He did it. He told me. They stood in the place. They they talked to the lady that prophesied music and worship over me before I knew how to play guitar. And here here I am looking back, I'm like sitting in a village in Africa going, he did it, the Lord did it. And how I would summarize it is kind of what I said earlier, whatever the Lord told you last, unless he gives you a better or as good a word, believe it, pray for it, and wait for it to come to pass and know it will. And it's going to be way better than you ever imagined. And it's also going to face more resistance than you ever think that you're going to face in the process of walking it out. David spent 13 years in the fields, 13 years running from Saul. He wasn't, he was 40 before he walked into the palace. Joseph spent 13 years in jail, left his brothers when he was 17. And I think he was right around 30 to 33 when Pharaoh promoted him. Like, but if we believe, if we sit there and go, he's faithful, that promise will come to pass. Hopefully you're not sitting in a rural village when it happens, but maybe that's what you want. (laughs) Maybe that's what you want. But, uh, yeah. I would just say faithfulness. That's how I would summarize it. The Lord is so faithful and he's looking for those that are willing to believe him. And he's a rewarder of those who believe.
0: It's mind blowing, man. Cause you know, I think about when the topic of missionary things come up, cause I've done some other audio books and spoken to other people on the podcast and you, you definitely have my admiration and respect for the work you do. And uh, as well as your family as well, because that's, that, that's hardcore, man. While you were there, though, now, just so the audience understands, there's if you like what Ian has to say, you can check out his book because there's a lot of stories in there. We didn't get a chance to we'd be here all night getting through this, um, but there's a lot of really cool stories in there. So make sure you do get a copy of this book and read through it. But if you'd like to support Ian's missionary work as long along with his family. You set up a little company setup called Compelled Coffee where you're selling some coffee and right to my heart because you're near Tanzania and Tanzanian pea berries, my favorite coffee. right? So tell us a little about that and uh, what that does for your ministry work. I originally started that because during that whole
1: COVID thing, I was looking for ways to connect with my the supporters and friends because I've, I've felt so lonely at the time. And the Lord showed me he's like coffee, researched it. And I was like, oh, well, we can do that. You know we can do dropship coughing from here and it's a way to connect with the people. They can pray for us, whatever. And in the the company I found, I was like, oh, and also those that have maybe missionary hearts, want to pray, they feel like it's off the grid for them to go somewhere. I'm like, I can pick countries that they can re- you know that we can relate to. And so that was why we did it. We started with Tanzania, obviously, because that's where the Yao, our actual Yao people start from there, from Tanzania. And then Brazil cuz there's a lot of people that speak portuguese and Brazilians that are on our team and then Mexico because we're in Arizona a lot of our friends are are hispanic so that's how we started it was just to connect with people and the proceeds of that go to some colleagues and to the ministries that are on the other place where you could find us which is compelledones.org which is the actual website for the ministry as well
0: cool so we got compelledones.org the coffee shop is compelledcoffee.com now pivoting off of that For our podcast here, as I mentioned in the beginning, if you'd like to support our work here and continue these interviews and help us build up, it is called BuyMeACoffee.com. See see what I did there? www.BuyMeACoffee.com forward slash DF360 for Dominion Fire 360. Again, the podcast is on all the major platforms. Please, if you leave a nice comment for us, helps us out as well. The website is DominionFire.com and the Twitter, Facebook, all that is all under Dominion Fire. Now, for email, if you'd like to get in touch with Ian or you want to know more about what we have going on here, the email for us is podcast at dominionfire.com. If you're a Telegram user, definitely want to get on there. It's t.me forward slash HQ, like headquarters. And if you're ever unsure, the big, big link is uh, www.sleek.bio forward slash dominionfire or just dominionfire.com. There's no reason you can't reach us. That's all I'm saying. There's tons of ways to reach us. It has been, Ian, an absolute pleasure to have you. I'm so glad Absolutely. we connected again and we got a chance to, to talk it. a little bit. Give us one more time, all the rundown of where people can find you, your contact info, any emails, websites. Give us a, a quick rundown on that.
1: Yeah. If you want to contact us directly, visit, contact, whatever, ones at gmail is the best way. If you want to support the ministry or see what the ministries are all about, compelledones.org. If you love coffee, coffee compelledcoffee.com. If you love music, Ian Christopher Music on iTunes and stuff.
0: All right. And as we wrap up here today, I want to give you sort of the last word here and the last uh, final thoughts on this whole thing. For someone that's listening that maybe was in a position you were that maybe they're not sure. They want to do this, they don't know what to do. Give us the final thoughts, the final rundown, the summary of what they need to do, what they need to know, and maybe encourage people a little bit. I would
1: encourage whoever's listening to just focus on hearing what God's saying to you and then what are you going to do about it? I really feel like that's that's what he he came to reconcile us to the father because we stopped hearing from him. He wants you to hear the father over you. He wants to hear what that call is in your life. You were purposed. He said yes to you in the womb. You're standing listening or hearing this sitting hearing this podcast because he chose you. I think that's everywhere. You said million we're all kind of it's a people it's a people thing or whatever you're human. And one of the guys that has really helped me during this process, this guy, Jamie Winship, who you should look up for your podcast for sure. Another plug. He he has a program called Identity Exchange I've walked my family through. He's the craziest stories ever. But when people ask him, like, hey, are you able to do this in this context or this context? Or do you think Muslims would receive it this way or whatever? One of the things he's he says so simply is, are they human? He asks them, are they human? And they're like, yeah. He's like, then it'll work. Like- That's the point is that everyone on this planet is who God's wanting to reconcile back to the father. And if if you're listening to this right now, I would encourage you that he wants you to hear him. He's not far away. That would be my prayer for people is that in this day and age, they can hear from the father and that they can have the faith to just follow what he tells you to do in whatever context, whether that's in your neighborhood or if it's a million miles away.
0: Like I said, super impressed with you and your family. And uh, thank you for being here today, man. It's such a pleasure to connect again. Listeners, uh, again, dominionfire.com for all our work. We're going to continue recording shows. I got quite a few more lined up. So we're going to keep bringing you content. And we appreciate you being here with us. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you so much for hanging out, especially on these long shows. And uh, we're definitely grateful for you. So as we say here at our ministry, every time, boom, goes Yeshua. And we're going to see you guys next time. Thank you.